Today is about priorities, and this uh, first part of, Ch- of James is uh, rather odd uh, because um, if you know anything about James 5, you probably know one passage. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much is the old way to say it, uh, that, that prayer actually works. Uh, that's the passage that people know, but the beginning of James 5 is a little odd uh, because it's pretty harsh, it's direct, uh, and, and it's a bad outcome. And, and so I, I want to prepare you that for prepare you for that today. Uh, but the the reality is uh, this section is not directly uh, speaking probably to us. Uh, it's speaking to a different group of people. Uh, it's speaking uh, to wealthy, uh, non-believing in Jesus Christ landowners who are oppressive. And so I'm not sure how many big landowner and farmers we have here today that are really wealthy, because most farmers today are not wealthy. Uh, but, but there are some principles that we can glean uh, from this today about our priorities. And, and so a, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a survey of 2,000 Americans aged 25 to 54. Uh, thankfully, I'm still in that range, uh, which is good. And, and these are people who owned a home. And of that group of people, 71% of them put more value on the health of their home than their personal health, like their body. So they valued the health of their dwelling place more than their own body. That's weird to me that you would care about a building more than you would care about your own health and well-being. And then two years ago, uh, a study was done by Pew Research, P-E-W, not like pew, like pew, pew, but pew is in a seat. Uh, I know that's what you were thinking. Uh, I just want to make it clear to you. Uh, it's a Christian-based research firm. But, but they found that that. Spending time with your family was America's number one priority by a long shot. Hey, that's good, right? Spending time with family is our number one priority. That's good. Uh, We at First Baptist here, part of our vision statement is to strengthen families. And so spending time with your family is good. But the bad part of that survey was that the people in the study also believed that being successful in their career was more important than their faith. And so I need to do better in the world than I do in my relationship with God. And so that's kind of the premise of today's passage uh, in James chapter 5. So let's look at it and, and see and, and kind of ask the question uh, about our priority. What, what is our priority? James 5 verse 1 says this, uh, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. Mm. You have laid up treasure... You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. 
and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Hey, all right, let's go to lunch. Get a big steak like rich people do. Weep and howl, he says, to the, to the wealthy. Now, let me just remind you in perspective, uh, if you live in this area and you have a garage, you're wealthy. If you own a car, if you have $100 in the bank, you're a wealthy person by the world's standards. And so let's just keep that in perspective for a moment as we uh, blast uh, these fraudulent landowners who don't believe in Jesus, okay? But, but he's calling on these wealthy unbelievers to weep and howl. It's actually one word in the original language. It, it's an idea of sort of this screaming uh, in terror. It's only used one time in the New Testament right here, but it's used 21 times in the Old Testament every time about God's judgment. So get ready. Uh, God's judgment is coming because you've abused, you, you've not only abused your wealth, you've abused others to get there. And he talks about three specific kinds of wealth. He talks about the wealth of food, rich food and and. We need to pay attention to this because my guess is we throw out more food than probably most people eat in a day. We, we waste a lot of food. We, we, are, we are wealthy when it comes to food. He talks about costly garments to, to adorn yourself uh, with nice clothes that the moths are going to eat and, and to collect precious metals, gold and silver that will corrode over time. These things are actually already corroding, already fading, already perishing. And, and that's the idea that James is getting at here. There, there's an idea of or, or, uh, your priority is either those things that are perishable, those things that will fade away, be destroyed, or, or your pursuit is for those things that are imperishable, that are everlasting, that are eternal. And so that's the question, what is our priority what are the things that are important to us? And, and maybe we could ask of ourselves, uh, is my success or my faith more important to me? Wh which of those is more important? My success, getting ahead, achieving something. Maybe it's academically or my career or athletically or, or with our family or make sure we have the right kinds of things that I find success. Which is more important what pursuit has your primary focus? Is it for yourself or is it for the things that last forever? And so how does that pursuit align with your faith? James speaks to the arrogance of these readers that they've trusted in their stuff, that they've trusted in their achievement And they've done so at the cost of, of others. But their wealth is going to get chewed up. It's going to rot. 
It's going to corrode. Now, don't hear me say or even James say that that wealth is the problem. Uh, Wealth is not the issue in this passage. Just like it's not in most of the scripture that, that having money or being wealthy is not the problem. It's the abuse of that wealth. It's the sin that often is connected to wealth and how they use their wealth. Because these, these rich landowners in this passage are already condemned. Their story is already written. Why? Because they hoarded their wealth selfishly. You ever... You ever had something and you refuse to let anyone else touch it? You never loaned it out. You never let anyone borrow it. Your sibling came and wanted to play with that new toy and you threatened them within an inch of your life. Their life, not your life, their life. Then your parents threaten you within an inch of your life is usually what, how that happens. But, but they, they selfishly hoard. We have entire TV shows about this. But this issue of, of hoarding. That, that we cling on to stuff so tightly that it consumes us. They're condemned because they've hoarded their wealth. They've refused to give it away. But only that, they defrauded their coworkers. They, they've mistreated their employees and their coworkers in a way that dishonors them and dishonors God. How we treat people matters. How we treat them matters in our, in our job, in our school, in our family, in our neighborhood, wherever we are, how we treat people matters. And so they're condemned because they hoarded their wealth. They're condemned because they treated people the wrong way. And they're condemned because they lived a self-indulgent lifestyle where where the world revolved around them. And so I'm only going to be be engaged if it benefits me. I'm only going to be supportive if I can get something out of it. Hmm, You ever been there? Where, where you don't want to get involved with someone else if it doesn't benefit you. You don't want to sacrifice for their sake. No, it has to be about me. And then finally, they've oppressed the righteous. The people who are actually living the right way, they've squashed. So, so much so that it says they've murdered them. And so just as a reminder to all of us, even though we may not be these crazy, you know, oppressive, uh, wealthy business people or landowners, let me remind you that our priorities will be used as evidence for us or against us in God's economy. Our priorities, the, the things that we hold to be true and that we cling to, those will be used as evidence for us or against us in God's economy. How do I fit in God's economy? Because this is applicable, applicable beyond just some money-hungry landowners and business people who are unscrupulous, who abuse their employees, who are only out for gain. Because I, I look at our world and the, the priorities of our world and, and the challenge sometimes to live in a world where we can be gracious and kind where we can pursue the things of God. 
And, and we can hold on to a belief that, that is rooted in the scriptures. Where we can hold on that and we can actually have discussion with others and still honor them and hopefully they honor us. Because we all have different priorities and sometimes priorities become an agenda. Have you ever had an agenda? Like, I, I'm going into this moment, and I am going to get my way. And we do everything we can to get our way. Because the priority in that moment is to win or to be successful or to get my perspective pushed forward or the thing that I believe in more than anybody. That's what I want to happen. Well, our world is in that case right now where we have lots of agendas going on. And those agendas are based on a belief. But the problem is when we move from belief to agenda, we lose the opportunity to listen. We lose it. And we become like these guys who just push and push and push and push and are only out for their own gain. And where I see this most in our culture today is in the area of sexuality. Where there are some differing belief systems on sexuality. Some of those align with the scriptures and some do not. But the challenge is that when we hold to a belief system so tightly that we can no longer listen, it's become an agenda. You know what happens when you have an agenda? People push back against an agenda. They revolt against an agenda. They rise up. And so I want to encourage us as you and I think about our own priorities, our own belief system, who, who we are. I, I want you to hold on to your beliefs. I want you to stand firm in the scripture, but I want you to be able to listen. That's the problem one of, one of the applications for me as I think about this passage is one of the challenges, these people that James is speaking to no longer listen to anyone but themselves. They refused. Their only agenda was to become more wealthy and push aside everyone else who was in their way. And we have those same things today. They may not be about money, but let us hold on to our beliefs, but be ready to sit down with others and reason together about what is true, what is right. Let's reason together about which direction we should go and whatever it is. That, that I'm open to listen and to listen to the right voices. Part of our problem sometimes is we listen to the wrong voices. I happen to get gasoline at the same convenience store or gas station pretty regularly uh, here in town. And, and, and often while I'm there, I stop in and, and I get a soft drink, uh, usually for someone in my household who likes Diet Coke. Uh, 
And we've gone from the, the large to the extra large, particularly in May when cookies were really, you know, uh, up to here. Uh, some of you know that. Uh, and, and so uh, over the last two or three years, there's one particular employee there. And, and, and I've heard, like, e- even other customers walking out and even a few folks in church who, who also frequent that establishment have said, you know, th- this, the one cashier, everybody says she's mean. Hmm. Like, like mean. She's just mean. And I was like, really? I, I've never experienced that. But over and over and over again, and at least three church members and I have had this discussion together. Because we, we've all heard the same thing, that this person is mean. And none of us have experienced that. Part of the reason is we actually speak to the lady. <laughs> and we're nice. Hmm. It's amazing if you're nice, what can happen? But I have observed this person doing her job, doing her job, and sometimes doing your job gets interpreted as mean, nasty, whatever else. But that's not my experience, so it's important that you and I listen to the right voices. When we think about our priorities, when we think about moving forward, when we think about what our kingdom impact is, I need to listen to the right people. Because this lady every time asks me if I have sip and save. So that narrows it down if you know your soft drinks uh, where this is. So you can investigate later, see if she's nice to you. (laughs) And I don't have it. Uh, Sip and save, that is. But, But I think about this passage and about the priority And if I want to have the right priorities, I need to make sure I'm surrounding myself with the right kind of people. And I'm listening to the right kinds of voices. Because as James writes about these folks who are so consumed with power and wealth and truthfully themselves, they've stopped listening. And the voices they listen to are the wrong voices. And it's a reminder to us that when you and I pursue the wrong things, and in this case it's riches, it leads to injustice, it leads to to selfishness, it leads to to self-promotion and extravagance. When, When we pursue the wrong things, Someone is going to get hurt, and we're going to put ourselves on a pedestal, and we're going to fall hard. It's going to happen. If I'm going to get everything I can at the expense of others, judgment will come. If I'm only focused on my own future and how I can get ahead, then I've missed the point of the gospel I've missed the point of the scriptures. I've missed the point of the purpose of life. Because God's called us to to pursue the things of God, righteousness, those things that make us right with God. And that happens first through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That that he's the one that that paid the penalty. He's the one that gave himself up completely. Left the glories and the majesty of heaven 
He left all of that for us. And now he's called us to live in that kind of way. It, it reminds me of a great little movie. I, you know, I think it was five years ago, which means it was probably 15 years ago. Um, it has an appropriate title, The Devil Wears Prada, uh, which, you know, is a, if you don't know, that's a name brand, uh, Prada is. And, it, and it's a movie starring Meryl Streep, you know, famous actress, amazing, Academy Award, uh, and Anne Hathaway, uh, young, great actress as well. And Meryl Streep is the head of this big fashion magazine. Anne Hathaway is a struggling writer who finally gets a job, and she gets a job at this fashion magazine as Meryl Streep's second assistant. She's so big time that she has two assistants. And Anne Hathaway is the second assistant. Well, of course, she has to slip around and do all kinds of, you know, grunt work for, Aunt, uh, for Meryl Streep. It's terrible, but she's really good at it. Uh, she's on time. She gives all she has. Uh, she's sort of, even in the process, kind of gives up relationships and, and opportunities because she's going. And then one day, Meryl Streep comes to her and says, uh, we have Paris coming up. They're going to a big fashion thing in Paris, France, not Texas. Um, and, and she says, uh, uh, you're going to go and not the first assistant. Because Anne Hathaway's character wasn't originally supposed to go. But Meryl Streep said, you're going to go and not the first assistant. And I need you to tell the first assistant she's not going. Hmm. She said, I can't do that. Uh, well, she's dreamed of this. She stopped eating for weeks to fit in the dresses and blah, 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 right? And Meryl Streep said, well, I guess uh, if you don't do this, it will be a signal to, of how important your career is. And so guess what Anne Hathaway does? She tells the first assistant, you're not going. And through the rest of the movie, it's a series of event after event after event where Anne Hathaway's character transforms to this sort of everyday kind of girl, to this person zeroed in on achievement and fashion and everything exterior. And along the way, she loses her boyfriend, even another publisher who wants to help her. He walks away from her temporarily because he's like, you... I don't know who you are. And she's climbed this great ladder. But at the end of the movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's your fault because it's been out for how many ever years. Um, at the end of the movie, Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway are sitting in the back of a limo in Paris, France. And Meryl Streep says, I see a lot of myself in you. And she said that right after she had betrayed a longtime friend in a little corporate battle. And it hit Anne Hathaway like a ton of bricks. And it was that moment she realized she had sold her soul. The devil wears Prada. And so they get out of the car, and Meryl Streep gets out towards the building. The mob of paparazzi follow her. Anne Hathaway gets on the other side and walks away. And as she walks by a fountain, she drops her cell phone in the fountain 
and keeps going. Because she realized in that moment, her priorities were all wrong. And she had sacrificed all the wrong things to get there. And sometimes you and I get caught up in those same kind of things. And that's what James is speaking to. That when you and I have the wrong pursuit, we're going to lose our stuff. (laughs) It's going to go away. There's going to be guilt. And ultimately, even for the believer, even for the person who is in Christ, that stuff is going to get burned away in the judgment. And so as you and I consider our own priorities, I want us to live in a way that demonstrates that we pursue the things that really matter. What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing the things that really matter? Are we just out here having fun? Are we zeroed in on a life that I'm going to get all I can as quick as I can, no matter what it takes, so that when I retire, that I have this nest egg, that I've got all this, and I'm going to get there any way I can? How am I living my life in a way that demonstrates righteousness. Because I, I, I wonder why would James write this passage, right? The, the passage before, if you can remember back and you were here the week or two before Easter, our, our very own John Gilmore talked about life as a vapor, right? Life is like that. It's over in an instant in the scheme of eternity. And, and then as he goes on through the rest of chapter 5, it's about suffering and prayer, So why this little section right in here about rich people who are abusive? I think part of the reason here is to remind us about our own priority, but also to remind those that are faithful to the Lord that God is with you. Because you might look around and you might see all the people in your sphere of influence getting ahead in the world materially. They, they might have the better house. They, they might have the, the great cars. They, they might actually have kids that are perfect, because at least Instagram says that. Or Facebook, right? That's, that's the mom's preferred uh, venue, I guess. But, um, but, but, but we have this, and, and we, we look at this, and, and it's a reminder to us to remain faithful because God is faithful. God is the one who avenges our plight, not us. God is the one who knows our suffering, our heartache. He knows our struggle. He knows difficulty. He knows the difficulty we face. And he will honor our faithfulness. And so until that day comes when we fully realize our redemption when we fully realize our salvation, when we get to experience the glory of heaven, maybe this is an encouragement to to bear the burdens that come our way and to live differently than the rest of the world. Be a person of generosity. It's one of our core values as a church, generous living, that would be generous with, with our with our time, we'd be generous with our, our gifting and how God has made us. We'd be gift, generous with our finances and we would give so that others may experience the love of Jesus. That we would serve faithfully. We would honor one another. 
and that we would not be resistant. This last line of the passage is, is one that intrigues me. After James says, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. Most of us probably get caught up in the first part of that. Whew, those guys are really mean, like nasty people. But what does the righteous person do? The righteous person trusts in the Lord. They don't have to take vengeance. They don't have to retaliate. No, they trust the Lord. And so let's be people that demonstrate a pursuit of kingdom work. Let's be generous people, honoring each other, helping one another, serving alongside each other, and persevering during difficult days, listening to the right voices. That's my prayer for us. Will you bow with me?